0: let us pray. Gracious God, we are so grateful for the opportunity to be together in community today and to study your holy word. We ask your blessing upon Hannah and we ask your blessing upon all. We pray that your healing would find us and that you would transform us ever deeper into your holy people. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, today we're looking at Genesis 5 through 7, select verses, and I'm just going to dive in. When God created humankind, he made them in the likeness of God, male and female, he created them and he blessed them and he named them humankind when they were created. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created, people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry I have made them. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw that the earth was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined To make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. For my part, I'm going to bring a flood of waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife and your son's wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Noah did this. He did all that God had commanded him. So I'm going to pause there. So this story begins with a reminder that God's purpose in creating humankind and the earth was very good, that human beings are made in the likeness of God and that we were created with God's blessing. That's how this story begins. And the reason I think it's so important for the author of Genesis to remind us of our original vocation is that what it really does is amplify the horror of things going bad right? Whenever something that's not very valuable gets ruined, not too tragic. But when something that's tremendously valuable gets ruined and corrupted, that makes it all the more sad. And what I think the author of Genesis is setting up is that the most precious thing God created has gone bad. And that this is really now a story of tragedy. This story of blessing has turned into a story of cursing. And so we're told that the Lord sees that Uh, the wickedness of humankind was great and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. Every inclination, only evil continually. It's almost like trying to emphasize the fact that the exact opposite of what God intended is now spreading throughout the creation. In fact, we're we're told that the violence at some point is multiplying throughout the earth. And so when God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, the intent was for the goodness to multiply, for God's image and likeness to multiply, for the things of God to multiply, but it's almost like the exact opposite is multiplied in the creation. And we're told that the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind in the first place. Now, I think it's really important that we not take this story literally as if God really created humans And at one point, regretted the whole affair. I think part of what is being highlighted, I think the deeper meaning here is that God cares, that God loves, uh, that God is hurt by the betrayal of God's creatures. We're told that it grieved God to his heart, but that Hebrew word translated grieved, it's actually the same word that God gives to Eve as uh, when he says that you'll have pain in childbearing. It pained God. And so it's the same pain of Eve giving birth to children. It's almost like the author is saying that God is in pain over giving birth to these children who rather than expanding the borders of the garden with goodness or allowing violence to multiply throughout the earth. And so God's basically going to scrap the whole project, right? To blot out from the earth, every human being and together with the animals. You know, the question is why the animals? And we talked a little bit about this last week, but there is this idea in scripture, it comes to fruition in Paul's letter to the Romans, that the creation falls with the human beings who are given dominion over the creation, right? And so whenever the stewards of creation are wicked and the stewards of creation rebel against God, what happens to the creation they oversee. And while I don't think that it would be fair to uh, suggest that the author of Genesis has uh, as full-blown theology of a fallen creation as, for instance, St. Paul, I do think that there's this idea that because the human beings oversee the creation, the whole creation is spoiled too. And then, so, so things have gotten bad. We're told that Noah found favor in the sight of God. One of the things that E.V. pointed out in our Sunday study, which I really like, uh, citing a biblical scholar by the name of John Goldengay, is that uh, a better translation of the Hebrew would be that favor found Noah, right? So it's translated Noah found favor, but that the Hebrew could also be read favor found Noah. And of course, what's another word for favor, but grace, right? Grace found Noah. This is certainly more keeping, I think, with a theology that fits with at least how I see the world, but the idea that maybe grace found Noah rather than Noah was this perfectly great person and therefore was worthy of being saved. Uh, But we can talk about that, of course. Now, we are told that Noah was a righteous man and blameless in his generation. And so Noah probably did have some integrity. But I like the translation of favor-finding Noah, because what it does is introduces this biblical idea of a remnant, of God always looking for someone through whom his covenant can continue looking for a group of people through whom his favor can continue to spread. And so God tells Noah to make an ark. And just one of the things that I think is interesting is that the Hebrew word ark is tabah. It's actually the same Hebrew word for what Moses is placed in. So you remember in the story of the Exodus, how God saves Moses through water, right, from drowning in the Nile. What is Moses placed in? Moses is placed in an ark, a little basket, but it's the exact same Hebrew word. And so this theme, right, of God building a vessel to save people is introduced here but it's just the introduction of a theme that's going to kind of go throughout scripture. So make for yourself an ark. This is the same thing that Moses is placed in whenever he is preserved from Pharaoh's uh, attack on all the newly born males. And then uh, we're told that God is going to bring floodwaters on the earth, that God's going to basically destroy everything, but that Noah and his sons and his family and uh, two animals of every living kind will be spared and that God will establish his covenant with Noah. So a few things just to, to close this out, then we'll have some conversation. One is just the interesting thread of the role of water and flooding in the bible because on the one hand we are saved by water right the israelites passed through the water when leaving egypt but that same water also drowned the egyptians their chariots and their horses we have for instance uh, that great psalm where david says save me O god for the waters have come up to my neck but we also have that reading from revelation And let everyone who is thirsty come and take the water of life as a gift. We have Jesus's mention of living water in the Gospel of John. And so the question is, is water a symbol of death or resurrection? Is water a symbol of life or of death? Or is it both? And are both of these images really contained in our theology and understanding of baptism? The other thing I just want to say here is I just really want to caution us against reading the story literally. And, and what I mean by that is if we read this literally you know, God comes off to be a pretty punitive and not so intelligent God, right? God regrets making humanity. God has a plan that doesn't work. God picks a righteous person who turns out not to be very righteous, right? And so one of the things that we can see in this story is a type or a figure really for what God does that unfolds in a deeper way throughout the scripture. And what does God do but find a way to move the story forward and to save us. What does God do, but remain faithful to God's covenant and figure out a way in order to preserve the story going forward? And whenever we think about baptism, right, I would encourage us to think deeply just about the ark we've been placed in, right? The word nave, the church is a nave, comes from the Latin navus. It's where we get the word ship right? The Navy is that group of of people who are in ships. So we have been placed in a ship. We've been placed in an ark amidst the flood of life. You know, so the question is, how do we read this at a deeper level? How do we see our own baptism reflected back to us in the story and not just get stuck in, you know, is God really sad that he made me? Of course not. God's very happy that he made you. So I'm going to go ahead and pause there and we'll just go into our conversation. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I've seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all the clean animals, the male and its mate, and a pair of animals that are not clean, the male and its mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the air, male and female, to keep their kind alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And every living thing that I've made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came on the earth. And Noah with his sons and wife and his son's wives went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came on the earth. And the 600 year of Noah's life in the second month on the 17th day of the month, On that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened. The rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah with his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife, And the three wives of his sons entered the ark, they and every wild animal of every kind, and all domestic animals of every kind, every creeping thing that creeps in the earth, and every bird of every kind, every bird, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. All right, so this is a little bit more of the same, just a a few things that I want to point out So there's seven days, basically God says, for in seven days, I will send rain on the earth. And one of the things that's been noted is that the seven days here might mirror the seven days of creation we have at the very beginning of the book of Genesis. It's almost like these are seven days of uncreation because really what is being highlighted is God's attempt to undo the very thing God has done and to start over. So these seven days uh, noted here in verse three, can be seen to mirror the seven days of creation in Genesis 1 and 2. And then you have rain falling on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights straight. And it's been noted that these 40 days and 40 nights uh, mirror Jesus' 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness where he is being tempted by Satan can also be said to mirror the 40 years the people of Israel spent out in the wilderness. And so a question we might consider is, and this is, by the way, is a reading that often shows up in the season of Lent. And so what is it about Noah in this ark as the whole earth is being destroyed and battered by rain for 40 days and 40 nights? What is it about this image that aligns and kind of meshes with the image of the Israelites in the wilderness and then Jesus going out into the wilderness to do battle with Satan? How is it that these stories are connected? Because I think that uh, by number, they are. We're told that Noah did all the Lord commanded him. Noah is actually not as great, I think, as the Bible makes him out to be. We'll discover that next week. But one thing Noah does do is obey. Whenever favor finds Noah, when grace finds Noah, that grace engenders obedience. And when God tells Noah to build an ark, even though there isn't a body of water around Uh, Noah does that. He climbs in the ark. And we're told at the end that the Lord shut him in. It's a very tender image of salvation. It's almost like whenever you maybe said goodbye to your children when they've been visiting and you kind of walk them to the car door and you shut the door behind them, you want to see them all safely. Uh, I think this image of the Lord shutting Noah into the ark, making sure that it's closed, making sure that they're safe, I see this as an image of tender care, uh, very much uh, akin to what we see at the end of Genesis 3, where God makes clothing from animal skins and clothes Adam and Eve before he sends them east of Eden to live their life away from the garden. So it's a very tender image, I think. And then just one of the things we said in our conversation that I really want to emphasize is that the reason this is going to be for lack of a better word, a failed salvation attempt is because the very thing that is fueling the problem actually goes into the ark, right? It is the evil within the human heart that is fueling the multiplication of violence upon the earth. And so, you know, just important name, even if we take it at face value that uh, Noah is a righteous man, that his heart is different from everybody else's, which I don't think the Bible is saying, He still has his wife and his children and their wives on the ark with them, meaning that the moment they step out of that ark, the very thing that uh, caused the problem in the first place will step off that ark as well. And it just raises the larger question, how is it that you and I often fall prey to the idea that we can stop the evil out in society by just, you know, finding the evildoers and getting rid of them or defeating them? You know, so often our um, language around working for justice, it's about having allies and defeating people. I mean, if you listen to the language, it's often military language, both in the church and out in the world. And I think what uh, stories like this remind us is that those strategies of salvation by blotting out, they will never work. And that what's really called for is to address what's in the human heart. And that's something only grace can do. In the same way that favor found Noah, grace found Noah, grace has to find everyone else too. And what is the church but a vessel or an ark through which that grace can extend to others? So I'm going to go ahead and pause there and we'll see what y'all want to talk about.